Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. The Fantastic Four are in space and the X-Men can't seem to stop fucking. I guess that makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survived this experience. Unlike Quentin Quire, who took a note from the plot of Midsommar and put flowers in his eyes. I found one of the weirdest things, the obsession with flowers lately. Like, I feel like every book we look at, there's flowers. And I understand that that's part of what they're going for. This idea of, like, growing and germinating. And I feel like it's something that I don't know that I've seen the X-Men do too much before. I know that Trees was a really successful book a couple of years ago over at Image and I was a big fan of it but this whole like trees are everywhere the plants are killing people oh no this is a Shyamalan twist you guys well and as we're gonna see today in the pages of X-Force number 10 we're finally starting to round back to the Terra Verde plot that saw beasts fumble a couple of issues back so to to jump back to what you had said last episode the, the trees are just taken over and like I kind of love it because the X-Men have been made this singularized unit like, I don't want to say they're exactly like Grey Goo mutants, but like they are sort of of this singular hive mind. Now, it's not like a single social identity, but it's a single cultural identity. And that's kind of like changing the narrative on X-Men quite a bit. So I kind of feel like they do need more sort of like giant psychic plant things to fight. I, f- I feel like right now the X-Men have some sort of like a symbiotic relationship with Krakoa, not unlike a fungus to a to a living host. It's we we've said you've said actually that you believe that the the X-Men behave differently when off of Krakoa. I posit they perform differently when they're off of Krakoa. So what if we're seeing them sort of take root, pun obviously intended, in their in their new home? And and maybe that's why we're seeing such a parallel of flora adversaries. That kind of makes sense. I mean, they have a symbiotic I I guess Krakoa has a symbiotic relationship with them because of the way that it spreads its uh psychic devouring from them so yeah i could i could see that uh becoming more and more powerful of an experience for them as things go on you know and it's funny that you say that and that we're talking about this because again in the pages of x-force this week we heard it restated that krakoa does psychically feed off of mutants one or two a year it was it was a parallel to the community of terra verde now as one hive mind organism feeding off of the life of few for the sake of many it was it was the running theme of this book and you know there's something about the symbiotic relationship and the fungus and like so i'm gonna kind of take x-force 10 and fantastic four and i'm gonna kind of combine it and i'm gonna take us on a bit of a journey but fantastic fantastic final fantasy sure so final fantasy 10 ffx as it were has a really unique villain in it in the form of sin and sin is this embodiment of 
like kind of like death energy in a lot of ways and on sin are spines and sin can launch these spines as little creatures but it's a symbiotic relationship in which these spines act as sin's armor and are also creatures that feed off of its power now we see that in whales all the time whales have species of fish that only live inside them species of fungus that only live on the underneath of them and so it's not unreasonable to believe that a symbiotic relationship may form now to get a little bit more disturbing there are a number of types of fungus in particular that grow in creatures there's a specific type of fungus that grows inside of ants and it causes ants to go insane and they feel the need to climb upward forever once they get to the highest point that their body can handle their brain explodes and rains the spores of this fungus down all over the floor doing this to more ants now i don't want to necessarily say that i feel as though xavier is possibly manipulating the spores of krakoa in a kind of rain on me ants kind of way but i did a really good ariana grande kind of dance there for a second i had my tits all up and i was looking very severe as i hit high notes and i also want to parallel to another final fantasy 10 thing for like half a second i love that flowers are like like murder mans now because it reminds me kind of of the floral super forms that the women of final fantasy 10 2 take mm. and there's something really potent about that era of storytelling and how it's deeply ingrained in our character narrative and i just thought those parallels were kind of hard to miss if you could pick one member of a current x book right now to just have their head like fungal ant explode who would it be beast 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 yeah beast 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 yeah. beast bud blow your brains out boy with them flowers fucker i don't even know what that was but it was a lot of b's and a lot of f's and blow your brains out with flowers fucker i'm gonna second that i need him to have his head explode in flowers i'm trying to think of who would be the funniest like who would i laugh the most if it was glob herman black tom would just be like oh, <laughs> my face and just like stroke himself i think glob herman is a really good answer because he's not you already see his brain no girl martha we don't don't you dare touch my martha don't you dare. well and okay in all seriousness I did find the exploding flower body horror interesting because that was not the first exploding flower body horror we've had this run. Incoming number one includes trees bursting out of people, and that is a separate villain to what we're facing in X-Force. So it sort of feels like Marvel has the trees literally killing us in everything we're reading today. Are Marvel the prophets for what's to come? Are Marvel in with Big Seed? I don't know what's going on. But the are in with apocalypse this year. I'm deeply uncomfortable by big C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know after it came out of me oh boy you know you know you know exactly <laughs> what you're doing i knew exactly where that seed was gonna land god oh damn boy it. set it, it up again implanted in all of us implanted uh, this, is a cult. The, 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 this is a cult of seed welcome to this is x <laughs> So, today we're taking a look at Empire Fantastic Four number 0, written by Dan Slott, with artist Arby Silva and Sean Isaacs, color artist Marte Gracia and Marcio Meniz, with letter VCs Joe Caramagna, and cover by Jim Chung and Guru EFX. I'm going to start by saying what I always say, which is, I don't typically read this book, but I particularly enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun little ride. I thought it was a really relatable, easy pickup. It was not, it was a little bit the opposite of 
the Empire Avengers number zero, where it took a little bit of knowing the cast and knowing a little bit what have come before, what had come before. This was just a nice, fun, easy read pre-war, and it makes no sense. I gotta be real. I walked away with three major flashings in my head. Number one, books shouldn't be named number zero. Number two, the profiteer is exactly why I'm paying. Holy shit, she's so hot. I just don't know what to fucking tell you at all. And number three, Dan Slott. Dan Slott represents, in many ways, the ultimate personification of fanboy achieving power, and I really hope Dan Slott doesn't get me too'd. It has been quite a month for reclaiming comics, for or initially claiming comics, for women and other non-binary gendered people by pushing out a lot of the ugly that has pushed its way in. And <clears throat> I really hope Dan Slott doesn't wind up on that list, because whether or not you love Dan Slott, and he's had his problematic moments, the chameleon having sex with Mary Jane as Peter Parker is pretty horrific, but he's such a genuine lover of the material. And this is so steeped in traditions at Marvel. Kree Skrull War, and the Fantastic Four themselves, the Contest of Champions, the Secret Wars. I mean, a little bit, these two zeros have read like a why don't you guys hop onto Marvel Unlimited and read all of our books here and there? But Kyle, it's so bizarre, but somehow we've managed to secretly prep you for this for the last two years? Yeah, right, right. Twice in recent books is their mention of Franklin Richards' godlike powers disappearing. First time was in the first issue of X-Men Fantastic Four number one. Now we're seeing it again here in Empire Fantastic Four number zero of Valeria trying to urge Franklin to manipulate their, their spacecraft forward, him saying that his power are depleting. Uh, for anybody who does actively read Fantastic Four, what is going on with Franklin Richards' abilities here? Let me answer that with this. What isn't going on with Franklin Richards and his abilities? Because that's easier? No. So, I have to jump in here, because I am not like the world's biggest Fantastic Four fanboy, but I've read the Lee Kirby years, I've read the Byrne years, and I've definitely read the Hickman years, and I love his iteration of the Fantastic Four. Now, I don't have too much experience with the slot iteration of Fantastic Four, but I know enough to kind of have a vague sense of what's going on. Franklin Richards uh, has always been maybe going to be Galactus, maybe is Galactus, maybe is more powerful than Galactus, maybe Franklin Richards made universe. Maybe best friends with Galactus. Yeah, there's always some shit going on with Franklin Richards and his power levels. He's created alternate realities and shunted all of ours into it. And the best bet when it comes to Franklin Richards is just assume he's only going to be godlike powerful for an arc where they need his godlike power. Like, kind of trying to write their way out of a Gary stew. Yeah, you know, it's so complicated because with, with Franklin having so much power, when Claremont created Valeria, she represents a very human opposite of Franklin, and there was a big push at Marvel for a period of time to accentuate the humanity, the excellence of humanity, and... Here, Valeria refers to herself affectionately as an Omega-level genius, and, you know, we have the scientist supreme over at AIM, and, like, there's this sense of not everyone needs to be a god, but fans have such a hard time letting go of godhood. So, as much as I think it's, like, a Gary Stu situation, I also think it's that Franklin being that powerful is a thing for so many people. You know, he's godlike Franklin, so they identify with him in that way and that with him. Okay, I mean, that's fragile. 
fragile, but okay. It's that's really all I have to say about it. I mean, you know, fandom is fragile. Like, and I, I don't mean that insultingly, but it, it's a it's a, a castle of ice, and sometimes it melts and sometimes it grows back on a good cold day. But like fandom is a very precarious thing, and sometimes you think you're skating along fine and you fall through the crack and the audience doesn't like it and you gotta get back up. I'm getting back up to this. I didn't really know what to make of this issue because it just kind of seemed all over the place. The best thing I can liken this to is a really dysfunctional D&D party. They go on a mission and only two of them actually learn information that is really useful while the other four fuck off for hijinks. There really isn't much going on here. It's three kind of semi-split narratives that are all culminate to the end where they're like, we have money now and these two children. Like Reed and Sue are the only two that actually learn useful information while Valeria and Franklin gamble even though they shouldn't be and Johnny and Ben are just kind of being like <laughs> fight <laughs> I think an important takeaway that we're we're maybe glossing over as we poke our fun here is the Fantastic Four learning about the recent end to the Grease Scroll War and trying to figure out more about just why there has been an alliance for whereas Johnny and Ben find themselves trying to stop two children one Gree and one Scroll from killing each other for the entertainment of the profiteer and her thousands of, of gambling patrons. I think those kids were meant to act as a foil to Valeria and Franklin. And when I think about the Fantastic Four, of course that they're a family and that way that they represent Marvel's kind of like emotional compass, you know, you've got mom and dad and you've got the two uncles and sometimes you've got Herbie the dog and Aunt She-Hulk comes over and your weird incestuous cousins, the Inhumans are always visiting. Uh, but at least they bring Lockjaw. Oh, I love Lockjaw. I, I love Lockjaw. Yeah, extended family is only as good as their pets. Oh, absolutely. And so these kids come in and, you know, they're like, we don't have to fight anymore. Or maybe we should. I'm going to kill everyone. Ah ha ha. It's this weird dynamic that sort of Dan Slott loves to play with this boundary of humor. And I think some of the severity and the realities of this issue, the fact that this was the Fantastic Four rediscovering the Kree Scroll situation having an identity for this partnership going into this war i find myself curious to know why this was the avenue that this story was delivered after all avengers empire number zero set the stage for our heroes to understand earth's part i think this was meant for us to understand the kree scroll side of things but making it the fantastic four as the mouthpiece in this very disconnected way leaves me wondering how this all comes back together and that rushed ending i think my problems stem with how this was delivered. I think it's the delivery, because it's definitely not DiGiorno, and it's definitely not something I ordered. It was not 30 minutes or less. No. In Avengers Empire Zero, it was way too serious for me, in that there was a lot of, it was an information dump with very little lightheartedness, and you know, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of joy, a little bit of fluttering of your heart, and a pep in your step. But this seemed not serious enough. It seemed a little too jokey. It seemed a little too there's something serious really going on here, but let's focus on the kids gambling. It really detracted from what they're trying to say. I think there's a happy medium in both of those of being serious about what's going on while also being jokey and lighthearted at moments, but I feel that this didn't take itself seriously enough for me to really understand the message. I think that's kind of what you get with Valeria, though, from what we've seen um, in X-Men fin- uh, Fantastic Four. And see, 
seeing her kind of take things and turn them upside down to her advantage helps to even out the the severity of this whole slave children fighting to the death storyline for me and i kind of enjoyed that myself and Kyle, I'm so glad you're here because I kind of want to bring up a weird thing. Okay, were the three plots of this the second movie of every Star Wars trilogy? Hear me out. There was a fighting arena, like in episode two. There was an ancient battle discussed and great plans advanced and a redefinition of family, like in Empire. And then there was a gambling section with people who should have been on a different mission, like in Last Jedi. I think that Fantastic Four Empire Zero, FFEO, is actually the second of all the Star Wars films. I was actually thinking about that earlier myself, so thank you. I am so validated! Anyway. <laughs> I think maybe part of it is I wish it was something I don't want to say this is cliche but like something something's actually going on at a casino how many times has that been done and like, why could it have been like, like a puppy play pit right it's like a space casino so of course it's shady like where where's like where's the where's the ingenuity and the innovativeness of how do you make a casino different and maybe that's part of what we're talking about this is so based in so many other Marvel stories it's touching back on Secret Wars and Contest of Champions Fantastic Four and annual 18 they mentioned when she hulk replaced thing after secret wars they're going for a lot of history here so maybe there isn't a lot of room for innovation i honestly didn't love the ending i don't know i thought the ending was kind of weak i'm excited to see it in empire number one but i don't know for the life of me how incoming number one and the two empire zeros are meant to walk me over to empire number one really the only takeaways you need from marvel incoming is teddy becoming king and the Kree and the Skrull dying by becoming trees, and that's actually about it. You know, and to Nico's credit, it really does feel like Empire Fantastic Four number zero, which is such a ridiculous title, is only meant to serve as the moments before they appear in the quote-unquote shock splash page at the end of Empire Avengers number zero, which we've pointed out was kind of ridiculous anyhow, because they're allies and not adversaries. Um, it doesn't make me less excited for Empire Empire number one. It just makes me pause. It gives me pause. I gotta say that this story also kind of gives a better idea of the timeline where everything has been happening and how close Empire has been coming down on the Marvel Universe since the beginning of Hoxpox because you've got this this is pre Fantastic Four coming back to Earth. This is pre Franklin and Valeria running away to get assistance with Franklin's powers. And the Kree and Skrull, they're already in, in the, the solar system. So things, things are running faster than we may have realized. Well, and I think it's also fair to say that things aren't exactly adding up book to book, which is another thing that we've been saying. And I kind of think that's the nature of the crossover. And like, I can't deny that I am excited for this King in Green, but Marvel just announced the King in Black, and we're going to have a major Null crossover in December. And so I find myself bracing for whatever Empire is. Like, and they're talking about how Empire is going to lead to the great Marvel Space Age, but like, they've done that 10 times in like 10 years 
years. So I'm a little braced for whatever's coming out of Empire. But it, I kind of feel like that pales in comparison to what's going over on Krakoa and the flowers taking over Terra Verde. So next up, we have X-Force number 10, The Deadly Garden, uh, written by Benjamin Percy. Pencils by Joshua Kassara. Color by Guru EFX. Lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I feel like this issue was definitely inspired by somebody watching Midsommar because it was just a bunch of horrors with flowers. I've never seen that movie, and I'm also only basing the plot off of what I, the pictures I've seen, which is just a woman in flowers. So I'm assuming flowers kill people. I'm sure that's not the plot. It's it's not, but it is a very good film. It's worth seeing. Um, but definitely, definitely happy to see us jumping back to the telefloronic activity on Terra Verde. Very excited to see the issue here pick up on an acknowledgement of Beast's big fuck up uh, as much as he does his best to shirk his account of eight. He's got uh, such BFE big fuck up energy. Uh, you know it's it's so funny because I, I just I think about how smarmy it is to say I suppose this is a good thing that it will make us more aware and prepared as a nation ourselves as to how things could go wrong. Yes yes this is absolutely a good thing. No it's entirely a good thing that I accidentally created a telephoronic man out of the president's son which is now created a hive mind of an entire nation of people completely fine because Krakoa will be fine. I mean, it won't happen to us. What? And I think part of the challenge of what's going on in X-Force right now is the promise of X-Force when this book began was this like wetworks replacement for what X-Force had been recently, which is kind of what Marauders became. And then you have all of these characters who kind of don't feel like X-Force characters. And it's almost like X-Force is acting as a more violent counter part to X-Men to allow these characters who mostly appear over in the pages of X-Men some room to grow. There's a little bit more Colossus, there's a little bit more Domino, but what I get from Gene and Logan does feel kind of like second run from X-Men. It reminds me of the era of new X-Men, which not shocking that they would want to go back to the era that clearly most inspired Hickman, but it's sort of the way Scott would appear in Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men and you'd be like, LOL, like, sure, like Grant Morrison's gonna let anybody write Cyclops right over okay, I'm just gonna wink at you and we're good. I actually winked. Nuts. But when I think about it that way, these are sort of like also ran moments of these characters. And for that, I kind of feel like as much as I'm enjoying this book, these sometimes act as like gloss moments and good buzz gloss moments. I love Gene and, and Logan getting it on. You know, Gene, Logan, Emma Scott, that's my ultimate foursome and I love it so much. But like Logan's joke, Colossus has got a big everything, it kind of exemplifies what I mean. Sure, Colossus is like seven feet tall and he is 400 pounds and he's made of steel. But what a basic joke for a guy who we have ultimately talked extensively about throughout the different forms of this show. Colossus represents white male impotence as it evolved through the age of the superheroics not knowing how to accept diversity and inclusion. To make this very basic joke about Colossus having an enormous penis, it almost misses the point of having Logan, of having Logan and Jean together with Scott also in their relationship. It bases it back a bit. I think my problem from this issue is that it seems like this is was just an issue that didn't really have a plot, but it was just reminding you what everybody's characteristics were. I liken this to Quentin saying he would turn Domino and Wolverine into his leg-humping groupies. That line felt really out of place. Like, we get it, Quentin's a dick, but that line literally had no place in this issue. It, there was more talk about Domino having to rely on blind luck. We get 
get it. Domino's superpower is luck, and that we had a whole three issues about her skin being used on humans. It feels like this issue regressed because it didn't know where to go. It was just like a, here's a plot, and here's who our characters are. But we already know who the characters are. I was also really disappointed that Black Tom wasn't more prominent in this. You know, he got a really cool cover for this, and I was like, well, Black Tom is kind of like the Black Tom of the X-Force, so like, where is he? What is he? Why is he not in these issues? And then he's here, and then he didn't do anything. Well, in fairness, Jean Siling is her own and Sage's powers together, which somehow saved the day and destroyed flower people. So there's that. But we got to see Sage get baby carried, and like, in my heart of hearts, I am Nanny carrying the X-Men as Muppet X-Babies, and baby Sage is like the X-Baby I didn't realize I desperately needed to baby carry. I lied. There's one good line throughout this entire issue, and that's Black Tom saying, you look like you have measles, but the measles are pockets. (laughs) (laughs) That was my favorite part, too. It was like, oh, yes, pockets. Yes, I love... How making fun of the pockets, especially after the 90s era. How dare he not love cargo shorts? Cargo shorts are a gift to fashion and to accessibility. I don't know what I'm oh, trying yeah. to say. But I love I love our, our sage Tessa, first X-woman, first X-man in her little explorer outfit. It's so she cute. She dress the part. It's so cute. Tessa the well-dressed up. So I just want to go back to what Jonah was saying that this kind of regressed and I have to agree because this is really just another instance of X-Force getting slaughtered by what they're up against and it's kind of frustrating to me because it makes them seem like they are incredibly incapable of handling what they're being set up against. We've never seen the entire team succeed. Partially that is because X-Force doesn't have a singular identity and I want to like I know I just kind of like I gave Benjamin Percy a hard time a minute ago and I kind of want to talk though about how I don't know what else he could be doing right now this book inherited a lot of plots whether it's from active titles like X-Men or past titles he's inheriting a mess of characters in bizarre positions in their characterization Beast Quentin Jean even all of these characters have been in a great position of flux and it's made the book feel so so unconnected from itself at times. I don't know that I recognize that first arc as reconcilable with the Domino arc as part of the same story as this. And now Jean's quitting. And I don't want to say that I feel Jean's I thought I was supposed to be the mind reader line was a little frustrating. But seeing Jean quit X-Force for me is creating this weird dissociative state for Jean. Jean of all people is the person most likely to maybe get a little too angry and a little too violent and it's not just the phoenix and to say that it's just when she's more powerful is to underestimate the value of a dynamic character who has seen growth and transformation over the years Jean is someone who grapples with the fact that she is a bully and can get what she wants no matter what and has to choose not to seeing Jean leave x-force before we've really explored what that means i don't think that's a reflection on per on percy per se i feel like when you're talking about Jean gray one of the i'll say five hallmark of the X-Men. I'd like to say that, you know, we can kind of treat the cover of House of X number one and maybe at Apocalypse, we can call that like, you know, the ultimate six X-Men that we should be really concerning ourselves with right now. Xavier, Magneto, Apocalypse, Gene, Scott, 
and Logan. And when you're talking about one of these six, I can't imagine for one moment that the person in final charge isn't Hickman. I'm actually kind of relieved to see Gene leaving this title in this capacity when it feels as though it never really made sense in this era for her. I'm glad it probably helped launch books. I got some gorgeous variant covers out of it. That Russell Dowderman X-Force number one is one of my favorite covers. And seeing so many strong, dynamic women on the cover of X-Force number one, Jean, Domino, Tessa, you couldn't have that without, you know, my wonderful Marvel girl right there. But yeah, Kyle, I can't help but see your point in multiple iterations. This team has never had a win in a literal sense or a figurative sense. So I, I want to say that I really enjoy the fact that Jean decided to leave X-Force. She's mentioned on multiple times that she felt like her moral compass was failing and her taking the initiative to take herself out of that position to try to repair her moral compass, it, it's a good move for her, I believe. Especially if you don't have the page space to explore it right, there's no reason to add that layer of violence if it's not going to appear anywhere else. You know, and I don't think that the violence that we're seeing come out of the pages of X-Force is being mirrored in any of the other books that we've been covering. Oh, I'll agree. And the levels of body horror, I think we saw traces of it in Fallen Angels, but this is truly a pretty strong departure point for the other titles. Marauders has a darkness and an edge to it, but it's got like an atmospheric lightness, and I don't know if it's just the art is so out of this world on Marauders with its vibrancy and its colors, and that's definitely definitely a factor here for a moment. You know, we didn't talk enough about the art of the Empire title. Silva and Isaacs and Garcia and Menes just did such a beautiful job telling such a visually clear story. And the art was strong and bright and vibrant. And I love Kassara's work here on this title. I think it's really terrific. It's not, you know, necessarily a huge departure the way I felt the Flaviano work was on the recent issues of New Mutants. But there's something about the coloration on this book that feels very dark and heavy. And I'm a big fan of a lot of Guru's work. And his work has been on Marvel Comics for like 20-something years now. And the look of it is strong. But in such a heavy book, the dark, grainy tone feels real dark and real grainy. Yeah, even even just flipping through the pages, even just reading the issue, it just, it drags by virtue of just feeling heavy. Like everything, you know, compared to Marauders, which I find even even the more plot-centric issues are a quick page-turner. This definitely took me a minute to get through because there's a lot to try and focus your eye on. You know, speaking of Marauders, it's really interesting that we're talking about comparing Marauders and X-Force because I said I felt kind of like X-Force and Marauders sort of switched what I would have considered their purposes. The book called Marauders, you would think, would be about the hit squad and the book called X-Force would be the team led by the members of X-Men just having to go out and do missions. Like, you would think that would be the story, but they've switched them a bit and having Kitty and Colossus as the face pieces of these books, true, there's Storm and there's Domino, Bishop, Iceman, there's a lot of facets, but I think, you know, we all associate that Kitty pirate costume, Kitty the Red Queen, that's that's Marauders for us, and Kitty had a journey 
of sadness shone through the power of light, and Colossus has had a journey of redemption shown through dark graininess. And I think that does go to the heart of something we've been talking about on a number of shows, whether it's over in 80s Mutant Mania or the other episodes of This Is X. We've really been discussing how at all times, Kitty and Colossus represent this sort of polar opposite of the X-Men. And I wonder if that's because if you're gonna let Jean, Scott, Emma, and Logan all play guess whose baby it's gonna be, I guess you need some couple that doesn't quite work out. And Kitty and Colossus can represent that since Gambit and Rogue seem to be happily married over in the pages of Excalibur. I've enjoyed this weird way the X-Books have shifted to this kind of like giant group cast mentality. I do feel like a lot of the books generally, generously share characters. It's not weird to see Ileana, Kurt, or Emma pop up in any title. If you're on the Quiet Council, I sort of expect to see you. We've had many adventures involving a number of amazing characters, whether it's Darwin and Laura over in one issue of X-Men, or it's a surprise appearance from husk and bling at the end of Fallen Angels. I've been thinking a lot about the characters that I would love to see redefined through the lens of House of X, Dawn of X, and I've come up with two people I'm really eager to see in this era. Number one, and I know, I know, everybody roll your eyes, but I'd love to see what Dead Girl can bring to a world where mutants can't die. Dead Girl's whole shtick is dead people. Those don't exist exactly the same way anymore. Or are there countless duplicates of people in the world of the dead now because they keep dying at an odd rate and being a psychic imprint. I don't know. So I'd love to see what Dead Girl could bring to this era. And it's just the fanboy in me. I would love to see Frenzy get a really increased role. Joanna Cargill was a villain against X Factor in the 1980s and would go on to play pivotal roles as a good guy in the X-Men starting with Eve of Destruction just before New X-Men and the relaunch and continuing on through the pages of X-Men Legacy by Mike Carey. I think Hargill, as a woman of color, represents something the X-Men just don't have enough of. And I love her so fucking much. I just feel like Dead Girl and Frenzy both have a lot to offer the Dawn of X. And we're not seeing either of them enough or at all. Does anybody else have somebody that they're feeling like they're not seeing enough or at all in this current iteration that you think could really add something that could take root and germinate through these pages? So before I, I give mine, Dead Girl's probably a little busy right now uh, teaching dead languages to the students of Strange Academy. So Kyle sends me this picture of a page of a comic out of nowhere and I I just open my phone thinking it's just going to be a normal message. But then I'm turned inside out because it's a page from Strange Academy 2 saying Dead Girl is on the staff. So it's just her name, but it literally turned me inside out. I felt like dupe in the Nuff Said issue. It was, it was everything to me. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I really want to see more Trinary. Uh, I've said before that she's probably my favorite recent addition to the X-Men. And we got a little tiny bit of 
her at the beginning of Dawn of X, and there really hasn't been anything since, so... Please? <laughs> I believe that appearance was in Excalibur, right? I think so. I think, yeah, I think she was working with uh, A on on trying to figure something out. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse enlisted Trinary to help him figure out how to get to other worlds. Yes! Thanks for including a favorite of ours, Teeny. You know, I've got two, actually. I would love to see where Nate Gray has been. I would love to know where X-Men is in, on the island, just if for no other reason than spilling out of the pages of Excalibur and Jamie Braddock's um, insanity. Uh, I, I really would love to know where the X-Men are keeping stock of some of their most dangerous and most most hyper-functional. But also, I would be curious to see where Multiple Man has been. There was one mention of Multiple Man early on in this run of X-Force, and none since, and part of me feels like spilling out of the pages of Marauders and Kitty Pride's failed resurrection. Kate Pride, excuse me. I feel like resurrecting Multiple Man might prove to be trick too. Yeah, you know, Jamie dupes are unique. Huh. 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 I feel like, I feel like you could break the island by creating some sort of Wendigo-like Jamie infection and putting it in the eggs so that every egg produces a Multiple Man in some sort of destroy the mutants failsafe. Or or just that every, it, it changes the viability of the egg so now every reproduction is capable of reproduction. So if Magma were to be resurrected, Magma can also duplicate herself in addition to her her set there, and it spreads like a virus. I I think there's ooh ooh. I wasn't expecting to open open any doors with this. Yeah, multiple man. Let's see some more multiple man. I kind of want to see what happens if you take like let's. I want to see the unegg. Let's combine multiple man and Legion, and let's see what happens. What? <laughs> A body for each personality in David. Let's oh. see what happens. Oh. Oh my God. David. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I feel like Ew, we David. should combine Shits Creek and Legion Ooh. into one really bitchin' TV show. Shits Legion. Shits Legion. Gene Smart plays Moira. It is everything to me. That sounds amazing. Real quick, I have to throw in one more. There's a couple of villains that I feel like I, I, it's hard because you want to see villains be villains, but we're in this age where all of a sudden all the villains are good guys. I miss Mimic. Mimic was pretty cool. I'd love to see Mimic come back. People don't give Mesmero enough credit. I actually like Mesmero's stories. I don't give a shit and everybody can eat it. Um, All the masterminds, all of them, if for no other reason, Jean and Emma need to destroy them. Well, except Reagan because she's so hot. Ooh, I have another one. The, uh, the second pyro oh the second pyro yeah. there's another one we haven't seen too much of well we got her in one issue exclaiming about her now canonical wife i'm more surprised there hasn't been a lot more mystique i feel like mystique plays a key role in a lot of different things and has been the backbone to a lot of key missions but the fact of the matter that we haven't gotten more mystique stories has really made me upset because there's a lot that i feel like mystique would be really unhappy about right now and the fact that she's not banging pots and pans and clamoring about it more really does speak about. Same with Moira. Where is Moira in all of this? I think Moira's in the no place. Yep. Really? I think she's hiding so that nobody can find her. Because I don't think anybody besides uh, Charles and uh, Eric know that she's alive. I feel like Apocalypse does. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how vocal he is about his knowledge thereof, but I feel like if Daddy... And like, you know what? I half expect, like, seriously, I would love it if Mr. Sinister, like, showed up in Apocalypse's bedroom one night dressed as a Moira and was just like, hello, husband. And Apocalypse is like, what are you doing? And Sinister is just like, I thought I'd surprise you, mutant and proud. And Apocalypse is like, I've told you never again. 
again. That was one time at a supervillain conference. And Mr. Sinister's like, But I've come all this way and gotten all prettied up. And dressed as Moira the whole time. Alright, I'm gonna go. Can it can it be her powers of X outfit though with the giant floppy hat? That yes, that's the only hat that's that's the outfit. Well, clearly, I'm sad and alone on this, but guys, I have as always had the best time chatting X-Men. We also talked about the Fantastic Four. And guys, until we come back, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? <laughs> you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me bursting into an undead flower creature over on Instagram at, at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me gambling my ship away because I'm gonna make a level genius just like Valeria. She ain't that special. JK. On Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? Oh no, I've been attacked by flowers. <laughs> just kidding, I'm fine. You guys can find me all over this amazing network here on Mondays and Thursdays on Exodus for Podcast and Tuesdays and Fridays over on HTML. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and Twitter over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, please remember the world is constantly changing. The most important thing you can do is arm yourself with information and knowledge. Make sure to be staying current on the news as much fun as it is to talk about comics. The most important thing is making sure everybody stays knowledgeable and safe in this mega crisis time. Remember, vote like your weakest friend's life depends on it, and we have the power to take this election. Black Lives Matter, and until we come back, ladies and gentlemen, keep those mutant lights lit. Bye! Bye! Bye.